Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are, I guess we're what, we're one day shy of two months till election day. So it's coming, right? It's coming up. It's, it's you know, this is no longer like, you know, a mere six months or a mere 90 days. We're, we're, we're really getting within the window right now. And for many of us, this is a date that we have been anticipating for four years. You know, there, there's things went tragically wrong four years ago. And, uh, you know, there's what we thought was could happen uh, four years ago with with the country taking such a uh, a dramatic wrong turn. And wow, we weren't kidding. <laughs> it was really a bad turn. And and and, uh, you know, as always, uh, President Trump did not create covid. But he certainly made it much, much worse, and uh, all the things that have happened. But and now the country is getting uh, a chance to to revisit that decision. And one of the things we're going to talk about today is there's there's we're we're in the midst of one of these uh, kind of collective freakouts of of everybody thinking you know uh, Biden had it, and now maybe maybe it's all falling apart, and this poll and that poll. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, but before we do. We have uh, a word from Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. And, you know, not just a word. So uh, here's here's the thing. Like, I was talking to Grady a couple of days ago. And this isn't just, like, literally. Like, well, I was actually emailing with Grady. But, it's, you know, emailing sounds funny. So it's emailing with Grady. And the, and the thing is that, you know, Grady's Cold Brew has become almost like like a part of the TPM platform. Right. You know, kind of like it is it is it is the house coffee uh, of, of TPM and a kind of a core component of TPM ideology. And so I said to Grady, he's like, hey, man, we, we got to up this. These are serious times. we got to up the ante. What can you do for for TPMers around the country and around the world? And especially in the UK and, and, and Canada and, and Australia, where they could understand us. So I'm talking, and he said, you know, and I said, let's let you know a contest. Let's let's let's. What are we going to do for this critical period? So uh, Grady delivered. You know, I didn't even I didn't even think that was a pun when I, when I when I when I first said it. But anyway, here's the deal. So there's a new offer. Listen to this. The most important election in our nation's history is right around the corner, and we need to be alert energized and fueled to get out to vote. So to help keep you caffeinated for the fight of our lifetime, Grady's Cold Brew is offering 25% off site-wide from now until Election Day. All fans of the Josh Marshall podcast and Grady's Cold Brew are eligible for the deal with no limit. So this isn't even like your first time, right? If you're already, you know, you're, you know, kind of, you already got hooked to Grady's, you can't live without Grady's, and now you're not eligible for the 20% off. This is everything, everything, everybody. You just have to be, uh, you just have to be a fan of the Josh Marshall podcast. So as, as, as Grady was saying, Grady's cold brew, and now you're eligible for the deal with no limits. Order now and get Grady's famous New Orleans style coffee delivered straight to your door or send a botched, ba- uh, 
batch to your local campaign headquarters. Grady's can be poured hot or cold and is available in regular and decaf. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25%, 25%, not 20%, 25% off Grady's at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. And again, that's not just your first time. That's for your 55th time. <laughs> I, the na- I'm not even going to get into it, but the number 55 is, is totally <laughs> locked in my head today. This is kind of an inside joke, but seriously, it kind of just came to my mind. But clearly, it's because like I'm 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 obsessed by by this number. Anyway, you can uh, also if you don't if if you if you're nuts and you don't want a discount, you can also get crazy your grocery store. Amazon.com. But remember, if you want that 25% off, uh, you got to go to Grady'sColdBrew.com and use the promo code TPM. Okay, David. All right. I love hearing that? that. I might have to send some to my parents and uh, yeah. get, get them hooked on it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, really. Really. Now's the time. Now, it's now the time. next 60 days is the time to get started on Grady's. Yeah, that's a great deal. All right. So, Josh, like you mentioned, we are you know, we're rapidly approaching election day. I think after Labor Day in the, the coming week, you know, the campaign is going to really consume more and more attention. We're, we're coming off of two weeks of convention coverage, a grueling stretch for the TPM staff. Kate and I were up late many nights. Um, and so hopefully we were able to catch up on a little sleep coming into this week. But uh, there's a bit of deja vu happening now, which is, you know, poll after poll has been showing Biden up in the you know, against Trump, Biden up in Wisconsin, up in different swing states, Pennsylvania, things like that. And yet, you know, there's been a, a little bit of tightening in the polls. There's been a bit of a freak out. You know, does Biden really have it in the bag? And you wrote about this maybe on Monday. Is that right, Josh? Just the kind of tendency of Democrats to worry about the outcome. I think, like you say, we're all traumatized a little bit from the results of 2016, which have sort of an eerily similar color to them today. But tell us about your post, kind of what what you've been seeing on this kind of great freak out happening. Well, as I, as I said, I think there's a more general thing, and this is something I've seen in cycle after cycle, that, that as a general matter, and this isn't to say that things are always great for the Democrats or bad for the Republicans, it's just across the board in, in, you know, good cycles and bad cycles for both parties. But as a general matter, you see that Republicans generally are pretty confident that it's going to come together for them. And Democrats are very equivocal, sort of regardless of what the objective realities are, you know, to the extent that we can, to the extent that we can uh, divine them. And, uh, you know, like, here, here's one example that, that when I kind of first started noticing this, as, as, as we all know, the 2006 midterm election was a big blowout um, for the Democrats. It was the last election where, uh, George W. Bush was, you know, kind of uh, unofficially on the ballot when he was still president. Uh, big blowouts. The Democrats took over both houses of Congress. Uh, and then there was another, you know, another blowout two years later. And um, through, the 20, 20, through the 2006 cycle, if you looked at the, you know, the polls, the data, all the kind of the indicators, it really looked like that was going to happen. And yet, the, the sort of the consensus wisdom was it was very unclear what was going to happen. And at the time, we had, uh, we still had something called uh, Intrade, I think it was, you know, one of these abetting sites. And th- they still exist, but that at the time, there was kind of one of them and everybody followed it. And uh, the, the betting markets and really kind of the investing markets 
showed the Republicans were still were probably going to, uh, you know, hold on and maintain their control of both houses of Congress. And it only the, the conventional wisdom only started to change right at the end. Um, and some of that was because there was a scandal with this guy, Mark Foley, you know, that he had had uh, some sort of some sort of relationship or intimate contact or something with, I guess, an underage page or a, something or other. And and even though it shouldn't make a difference, just th- the way the story was covered, I think, was affected by the fact that Foley w- is gay or wasn't out of the closet then, but, you know, it, it was a, a male page. Um, and, and after the fact, it was always treated as like, well, it was all kind of touch and go until that kind of, you know, kind of was the knockout punch for the Republicans and, and everything fell apart. Well, that wasn't true. It was pretty, it was, again, all the signs from the beginning were that the Republicans were going to have a very bad cycle. Uh, and so there's, there's two things. One is that Republicans, just as a general matter, are much more confident in election outcomes regardless of what's actually happening. And Democrats are much less confident, regardless of what is actually happening. And I think you have an extra thing there that uh, the betting markets and the sort of investor markets, you know, they tend to be, uh, you know, dominated by Republicans. Um, and so that that affects things. And um, so this is just a general thing. And I think it is rooted in the the kind of uh, collective psychologies of people who tend to be Democrats and tend to be Republicans in in this country. So this isn't to say that, oh, don't worry, Biden's got it. I don't know that. And and I'm affected by these things as much as as much as anybody does. But I think it is important to keep in mind that this is a basic, a basic thing a basic phenomenon in our in our contemporary elections and and one way that again i think you you see it is that there are sometimes pollsters do polls where they say don't tell us who you want to win tell us who you think is going to win and those tend always to favor republicans and again the reason is because republicans in general kind of say yeah i think we're gonna win i think we're gonna do it and Democrats are like, oh, I don't know, you know, they may not come together, blah, 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 blah. And so you end up seeing the Republicans, you know, the public uh, thinks Republicans are going to win or Trump's going to win or whatever. Again, I think it's the same thing. The political psychologies of the two of the two uh, social cultural formations think about these things quite differently. Now, a few people wrote in after I wrote that post saying, oh, you know, I think you got this wrong. I think the Democrats do have a lot of reason to worry. Uh, and, and that's right. The Democrats have to win this. Biden has to win this election, I would say, by about four percentage points to be to win. Now, he, he may be able to win with two percentage points, three percentage points. But, one, but if he's four or over, I think he will win. You're not going to, I think that's probably the sort of the tipping point where you're not going to get a divergence between the Electoral College and the popular vote uh, past that point. And l- l- let's stop right there. That is a really big and really bad thing that that, that the Democrats has, has to win by a pretty sizable margin just to win. So that's one thing you start with. So if, if, uh, 
you know, if if Biden's ahead by 10, great, but he's got to be, you know, really, that means he's ahead by six because he's got to be ahead by four. Um, and there's just all these different things happening uh, that that create lots of threats. The post office, the Russians getting involved again. It's scary because the consequences are super, super, super high. But this other this other factor is important to keep in the back of our minds to kind of keep us in touch with the reality of the of the situation. Kate, I feel like you and I had talked a little bit about this leading up to the 2018 midterms. Um, you know, that was a the year of the blue wave, although it was a little bit belated. And even on even the night of the 2018 midterms, you had people like James Carville and Van Jones going on cable news and talking about heartbreak and kind of not a good night for Dems. And then it turned out it was a better night than people even expected. How have you seen, how else have you seen this collective anxiety play out recently in this cycle, um, whether it's from pundits or people on Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think to some degree, pundits love to do this thing where they're like, you know what, Democrats, like, don't get overconfident. Trump can win again, as if any Democrat in the entire country is at all confident. Like, after 2016, I don't think anyone's ever going to be confident again, because so many people feel now that they, like, you know, can't trust their political instincts. Um, and I think there's been a lot of that. I think to some degree, this kind of collective freakout has been fueled by the fact that a lot of you know, pundit media reporter types just spent a week watching the convention, which is each party's chance to make their case, um, which, you know, consciously or not kind of infiltrated as, okay, here's, you know, the Trump campaign giving a somewhat cohesive message kind of thing. And then there actually is, you know, some tightening in the polls. Like a few minutes before we came on the air, um, Monmouth released their Pennsylvania poll, um, which now has Biden up four, even though it had him up by 13 in July. And, you know, to some degree, I think the 13 might have been a bit of an outlier. You also have, you know, this poll is presumably at Trump's post RNC bump and he's still four point four points behind Biden. And so you wouldn't think that would be an outcome that would, you know, make the Trump campaign particularly pleased. But so I think, you know, it's a little bit of the echo chamber of people have decided that right now it's kind of it's kind of the thing to be cynical about it and to like make other liberals feel uncomfortable about it. Um and then, you know, some tightening. You did have the RNC. But if this is Trump's post-convention bump and it kind of adheres to the conventional wisdom that said bump deflates the farther we get out from the convention, you know, that's not good news for him. Um, but I think for with good reason, a lot of Democratic leadership has been framing this election as what Josh said, you know, we don't need just need to win. We need to win big. We need to win when there's no question that Biden has won to avoid these kind of doomsday scenarios of, you know, election night. Trump doesn't accept the results or says that mail in ballots are fraudulent, you know, goes to the Supreme Court, blah, blah, blah. So I think um, this was inevitable to some point, um, but kind of Data-wise, the tightening in the polls that we've seen, I still think at this point seem, you know, a lot worse for Trump than for Biden to be at this point and to have him still 
be behind in all these states, you know, if not behind by like 20 points or something insane. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is important to, to, to just note that we're talking about a race where the president has been fairly consistently down by almost 10 points, which, again, by, by most historical standards, you're talking about a blowout, not just, you know, not just a, a, a defeat. Um, one thing I wanted to mention about one, one thing that is weird, and I may hold you personally responsible for this, uh, Kate, Excellent. that, uh, yeah, that <laughs> there's this, regardless of this one poll of Pennsylvania, there is this weird pattern that has been showing up that is beyond this one poll, which is that of the, you know, the three heartbreak states of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, which basically did the Democrats in, in 2016, Biden seems to be doing consistently better in Michigan and Wisconsin than in Pennsylvania. Now, by, by small amounts, right, we're not talking about significant amounts. And, and uh, this one poll notwithstanding, and even including that poll, he seems to be doing pretty well in Pennsylvania, and he should be. I mean, he actually has a Pennsylvania background. He's from the neighboring state, which is almost kind of like the neighboring county. I mean, Delaware, come on, right? I mean, this is, it's, <laughs> it's, it's basically part of the greater Philadelphia media market. Um, and that, that's just odd. And in some ways, maybe it's good news about Wisconsin, because everybody's, including myself, I've been thinking like Wisconsin's the place that's gonna, that everybody's going to like, you know, live or die. So there is that kind of thing that's just a little strange, because by most things we know, Pennsylvania is more like the state, like, oh, of course the Democrats are going to win Pennsylvania. They always win Pennsylvania. And it's, and it's more like Wisconsin that is the one that's a little, you know, shakier so that that is a that that's a weirdness right there and and you, you know that can be just the oddities of different polls and and you know maybe maybe it's nothing but that is a little um that that is that is a little odd and aren't, aren't you I mean, from philadelphia kate i mean yes. are you really gonna run away from this <laughs> <laughs> no i take direct personal i take um direct responsibility for this but okay. you know on the wisconsin note it is interesting because you know the last kind of major election we saw out of that state was um the state supreme court seat in the midst of you know the primary from hell where we had kind of the banner image of that was the speaker of the house clad head to toe in protective equipment telling people it was safe to come on out and vote. Um, and then you still had, you know, the liberal win, you know, pretty handily, which I don't think was by any means expected. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's Wisconsin and not Pennsylvania that maybe Pennsylvania is acting like a normal swingy state. But I mean, I don't know. It's just Pennsylvania is so patchworky, like like yeah. a lot of states are. But you know, because you've got the you know when you think of the people who live in like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, you have the people you think of. But there's also such a contingent of kind of the more salt of the earth city types, you know, who are like you know more blue collar kind of what you would think of when you think of um, Biden's time in like Scranton, those types, you know, but. And a lot of it's just a lot of it's just a rural, right? It's a well, pretty the middle rural, of it is like yeah, essentially Kentucky. State. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, and you got the Pennsylvania Dutch in there. Who knows? I've been on field trips to see them so many times. I mean, you start with them not being Dutch and being German, and you know that what is wrong with these people? <laughs> they can't like they really, it, you know. Okay. Yeah, it's a mess. 
Yeah. So speaking speaking of um, you know, Biden needing a blowout win, I'm curious if you both saw the um, I guess Axios had an exclusive on it. The Bloomberg data team put together something they call like the red mirage, which would be Trump appearing to win big on election night, but then slowly as mail in votes come in, you know, some of these swing states might shift back to blue and then we have this kind of nightmare situation where yeah, Trump doesn't accept the results or even voters think something is up with that. I mean, what do you expect? How do you expect that to unfold or what, you know, how can we maybe guard against it or kind of have listeners or voters kind of prepared for how things might unfold? I mean, like one of the things that has come to my attention as um, a bunch of the reporters, we've been doing uh, weekly installments on states readiness for the general elections. And in doing that, you kind of learn which states laws, you know, prevent them from starting to count absentee ballots on election night and which lets you count beforehand. Um, and there are some states that have actually shifted those deadlines earlier in anticipation of the barrage of mail-in ballots that people expect this year. So, you know, that might to some degree be a balm with that big shift of ballots thing, because obviously some are going to come in later, but if they can start counting earlier, it might be a less dramatic lurch in the days after the election. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I meant earlier when I referred to the Democrats kind of doomsday fears, I think, is that Trump, I mean, I don't think any of us have any question if Trump would do that, you know, of course, like he's going to do anything he can, I think, to, uh, you know, to protest the loss. But the question to me is, Okay, so then the next kind of logical step of that is, are the institutions going to support that kind of theft of the election, I guess? And I think the big fear is that Democrats don't trust the Supreme Court as it is right now. So I don't know. That's a situation I guess people don't want to be in where you have to depend on Brett Kavanaugh to cast the vote to save the democracy. Yeah, that, that's I mean, that's really the thing is that it can't be close because it gets close, then you're, then you're down to Trump's meddling and the Supreme Court. And, and yeah, right. I mean, that's, it can't be close. Are there any lessons, Josh, from 2000? And I guess really the birth of TPM during the Florida recount that, I don't know, you are looking to this year, you know, this would be the first presidential election cycle of my, I guess, kind of adult lifetime where we won't know the results the night of. And I don't know, is there anything from from back in 2000 that you remember or are kind of keeping in the back of your mind as we go towards, you know, potentially another kind of undecided election night? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I mean, there's a couple things. One is, is that we don't know that we won't know the outcome on, on election. I think it's quite possible we will know the, I mean, I would even say that is the likely scenario by far that we will know the outcome. Now, we may not know it um, as a mathematical certainty, um, but I think it is more than likely that we will know. And I saw some good pushback. I mean, first of all, Bloomberg and Axios, bad combination, right? A lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of bad dice in the, in the, in the throw there. I, I I saw some pushback from people whose knowledge I I respect, and just saying that that's that is certainly possible, but that assumes a lot of things that are just not likely or even true, and um, <clears throat> you know, to one point that 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 Kate just made, you know, p- 
people know this mail in this mail in thing is coming and they're making adjustments to 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 deal with it. Now, I would say and this is one place where it is really really in the media's hands to start preparing people that you may not have a result on election night and particularly to prepare people for that's okay. That's okay. That is not that is not weird. That is not a problem. You know, you had this thing in Iowa, you know, the, the, that kind of botched caucus night in, in Iowa uh, this uh, earlier this year. It's hard to imagine, hard to believe that yeah. was just yeah. 2020, yeah. right? Exactly. Uh, where now, in that case, you really did have a, a kind of reporting breakdown, but you didn't really have a breakdown. You just had a delay in 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 when the people got the information in. But there was a a a kind of full deck, just just collective meltdown, right? Of how could this happen? Uh, you, you know, the Democrats can't run an you know all this kind of stuff that you can see that that is really the threat. That people kind of have this idea that if if all the you know if all the votes aren't counted in the first two or three hours, not just that it's a bummer that you have to wait, but that the whole that the integrity of the election is in question and all this kind of all this kind of stuff. So it, it is totally incumbent on the media and elected officials to make clear in advance. Uh, there's gonna you know there's gonna I mean even to call it a delay. It's just going to take a while to count the votes, and that's fine. So that's that's that is one part of it. But I also think that, um, and this goes to the you know the points that that Kate was just making. Uh, there's a lot of planning going on now to to deal with this and to start counting in advance. You know, because you obviously have a lot of those ballots before um, you know b- before the. Uh, before voting ends on 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 election night, and and one thing is now there's you know there's just no comparing the volume of voting on uh, election night in a general election on one in which there's this much attention and focus uh, you know compared to a primary night. But we've had a lot of primaries, and basically they've just all been counted on election night and people know the results and that's kind of just it. Now there's some exceptions or exception in New York state. Um, there've been some problems, uh, you know, problems of delays, but, but that, that evidence that, um, you know, those trial runs have been fairly indicative and it's basically kind of gone fine. Right. So I think this idea that, you know, that, that red mirage thing I think is, is oh is significantly overstated in a few different directions and one big reason i think it's overstated and this goes sort of throughout the whole conversation about the election this idea that all republicans are going to vote in person on election day and all democrats are going to vote by mail i i think that is just an assumption that is is highly highly questionable highly questionable um, you, you certainly have a lot of Democrats now who are saying, hey, I'm going to vote in person because I just can't leave or I'm going to vote early and in person, you know, whatever, because I can't leave this to Trump and, the, you know, and the, and, the, and the Postal Service and all this kind of stuff. You've also got the fact that, that Republicans tend to be older, more susceptible to COVID. And, you know, 
COVID talks and bullshit walks, right? I mean, you know, you, I, I, for all of the sort of the politicization of, of mail-in voting and stuff, I think you're going to have a lot of Trump voters who kind of say, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm, I'm going to vote by mail. So I think all of these things are just, that, that, just, that just seemed like Axios bait. I think that there's a... Um, I'm certainly a good headline, right? And it kind yeah. of it gets you to open the newsletter or click on the yeah, story. And, yeah, you know, yeah. But I, we, all know, we all know how that works. Yeah, yeah I, I don't... And, you know, the thing is with... Um, the, the two, what made the 2000 election so weird is that the idea that, that you would have... It, it is hard to, particularly for people of your generation, it is hard to convey just how freaky it was at the time the idea that the the per, the winner of the popular vote did not become president that was unthinkable now it's much less unthinkable it's sort of a given there's no one who thinks that trump is going to win the popular vote that is absolutely not going to happen and no one no one remotely thinks it's going to happen so that was one thing and just the idea that it i mean i can't remember exactly i think it, i think it went on for 3 or 4 weeks um uh yeah yeah it yeah, was weird i'm not sure what we can draw from that but it was weird <laughs> one yeah. point i just wanted to add with the axios thing is that so many pieces of this election are still in flux and kind of changing before our eyes you know we only had what was it last week that the nba players kind of brokered the deal where stadiums would be used as vote centers you know we have no idea yet what the effect of that will be because we've never had an election where all of these major sports arenas had their doors flung wide. And, you know, by all kind of immediate accounts, that could be huge. You know, there's a lot of space. Traditionally, they're somewhere that's very accessible by public transportation. Um, you know, now, they, are they going to be used as precincts or basically collection centers if you want to kind of, you know, people would just want to bring in their early ballot or, you know, those. Oh, my kind impression of like was that they were being drop used box. As vote centers. Really, like polling places. I yeah. Think. Okay. Yeah. For any. Yeah. No, I wasn't sure. I just wasn't. I wasn't totally sure because obviously, um, you know, the the, the the state has to go along with it, right? right? I mean, it's they're making it available, but it has to be, you know, plugged in with, uh, uh, plugged in with the the laws and practices of particular uh, particular states, and I, I, that was just a, that was just a big deal on the level of you know each each of the professional sports are the big three you know hockey is sort of hockey is the is the I, I think it is this isn't a dig on hockey but in terms of attendance and all the different kind of things it's of the of the big four sports in the United States it's kind of the you know the lowest rung um, still semi-regional. Uh, uh, sport in the northern tier of the country. But in, you know, baseball, football, basketball, we have seen in recent years that they have different kind of uh, political inflections to it. And there's been the resistance to date in the NFL of the, you know, in, in the front office and at the league to, uh, to Black Lives, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and Colin Kaepernick and all all that kind of stuff, the NBA sort of on the other, you know, end of that, you know, end of that spectrum. Um, but, but it's, 
that that is just a big deal for a sp- uh, a national sport which inherently has to have you know kind of buy in pretty you know pretty wide buy in across the, the population to make that a thing to say you know we we've got to be part of the solution on on voting that's just i don't know that was that was um <clears throat> really sort of inspiring for me uh it's one thing you know, armbands and the different thing, you know, the NFL is now kind of, you know, the front office, the NFL has kind of gotten religion now on, you know, on Black Lives Matter, notwithstanding, as far as I know, Colin Kaepernick still not having a contract. Um, and symbolism is very important, especially when, when you talk about the symbolic heft of, of, of national sports. But this is, you know, tangible and kind of like forcing the matter on a very tangible front. That was, that, that just seemed like a big deal to me in a way that transcended a the symbolism and even maybe the direct impact of of those voting centers just the you know the sport itself saying we are going to be involved we need to be involved this is this is this is existential it does feel like the nba is increasingly kind of the future of professional sports you know a more progressive a more diverse a more kind of inclusive i don't know league and you know, the NFL increasingly just kind of looks like a relic of kind of the old times and, you know, just not even to mention the safety factors of the two sports, but that's, that's maybe another podcast. So maybe we can um, end the episode talking about kind of a related issue, which is the, the protests and unrest that have, that have popped up in several American cities, most notably in Kenosha, Wisconsin, following the police shooting of Jacob Blake. Um, a black man who was trying to get into his car and was shot by police seven times in the back as he was opening his car door. Obviously, we've been talking uh, over the last hour about Wisconsin as an important swing state. I'm curious, do you, I mean, do you think, you know, and in Wisconsin, we've had uh, a 17-year-old accused of, of shooting and killing two protesters and injuring a, a third. Do you think these protests in some way help Trump? Does it not really matter? Is it not going to be a a factor in the next couple months when we're actually kind of quickly approaching election day where, I don't know, what do you just make of the kind of the political impacts of, of what we're seeing? Well, I, I've been kind of thinking the, the common wisdom on this, or at least what the Trump campaign is running with the idea that more unrest and more destruction kind of bolsters his cause. That has always been completely kind of baffling to me because they're using kind of these scenes of destruction and Trump went to tour Kenosha basically just so he could wade through some rubble yesterday. And, you know, the idea of it being, you know, this will be Joe Biden's America. I just, and maybe I'm, you know, overestimating the average voter or something, but I find it hard to believe that you can sell to someone this that's happening right now under my administration is what you'll have to deal with under the next guy's administration and have that be a compelling argument. You know, like it also just seems to fly right in the face of his big off tweeted, you know, law and order. How can you make that argument when there's unrest kind of rippling through the country? Um, And also, I think if you, I mean, if you look in the polls, we've been deep enough now into the time of you know, pretty frequent protests, and maybe they're not happening now with the same consistency that they did in the immediate aftermath of George Floyd's killing. But, you know, every few weeks or so, police, you know, kill someone else, and there's another uprising. And I don't think we've seen really any discernible change, at least in the polling, that seems to be rooted to 
the protests or any kind of reflection of people seeming to think that Trump is is or will, you know, handle them well. I, I would say I, I basically agree with that. I would I would say two caveats to that, which I don't think are in contradiction. I think they complement Kate's point. The first is, is that if you look at the last week or so, the public conversation has been all about civil unrest, violence in the streets, etc. Almost nothing about COVID. You know, just now, not that people aren't thinking about it. It's obviously happening. You still have upwards of a thousand people dying a day. But if you think of just the headlines, very little on COVID. And I would say every day when the, the big headline is not COVID is a good day for Donald Trump, even when it's like something else kind of disastrous, that that is that that is just such an overwhelming failure. It is such an overwhelming public thing. Every day that the conversation is not about COVID is a good day for Donald Trump to start with. And I think that um, I, I think to a certain extent, um, <clears throat> any day that that the headlines are about things burning in big cities is, you know, relative to the other things on offer, a good thing about Donald Trump because it because it fits into the narrative, even though logically speaking, a hundred percent. Okay, wait a second. This is you. This this is the, this is Donald Trump's America. It's a little hard to say. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a little hard to say like, oh, it could be this bad under Biden's America when like literally it is this bad under and Trump's America. Like, what are you talking about? It's it, it just it's 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 nonsensical. Um, but I but I do think that, you know, law and order for Trump, what that really means, it is not the rule of law. It is violence against the people who are trying to upset the apple cart. It is crackdowns. Um, so in that sense, you are, these visuals are more visuals, more evidence of the people who need to be brought back into line. And I do think that, you know, as we, as, as we said a little earlier in the podcast, no one thinks that Donald Trump is going to win the popular vote in this election. No one in Donald Trump's campaign thinks that that's going to happen. So what this is really about is getting his own people to a boil as much as possible. And I do think that that what happened in Kenosha, what is happening in Portland, those things are not good in, in some ways, they're just not good for him in any way. They're certainly not good for him for most of the electorate. But they can work for him in supercharging his 42% of the vote and demoralizing everybody else. So in that sense, I think it can, you know, it, 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 it can work for him. And if nothing else, as I said, it's a day you're not talking about COVID. And any day you're not talking about COVID is a good day for Donald Trump. Um, and, you know, it, it. on the other hand, it's funny, too, is that I don't think there's any question, any question. If you go back to May in the initial uh, Black Lives Matter protests, uh, you know, 
in response to George Floyd's murder, and then that that kind of ridiculous uh, stunt in Lafayette Park, it was sort of a given. You had all sorts of people saying, "Oh, this is going to be 1968 over again. Uh, this is where this is how Trump wins it." And then you see polls coming out over the next couple of weeks, and it's basically like, "No, Trump. It's really bad for Trump." And you have these this, this remarkable shift where. Um, Black Lives Matter means a lot of different things to different people, but the general point, do you, you know, the general question, do you support black, the Black Lives Matter movement? Do you think it is true that uh, African Americans face, you know, disproportionate violence from the police? The, the poll numbers on those changed markedly in the direction of support for the Black Lives Matter movement, which really just belied what a huge amount of, of commentators thought it just wasn't true. So I think it kind of, you know, it kind of bo- goes both ways. And, and, you know, a final point I will make w- when you were losing chaos is good, right? To a, to a certain definitional extent, if you're losing, just keeping on the road you're on means you're going to lose. Y- you sort of have to, you know, it's, it's like you're losing in chess. You just take the board and you throw it up in the air. And maybe you'll be disqualified and maybe they'll put, you know, but it's better than losing. So a lot of this, I think, is just everything, every, every one of the next 60 days is just going to be Trump throwing the, throwing the chessboard up in the air. Because if you're losing, it can't be worse than losing. You can't, like, you know, I think we discussed in one of the earlier episodes, you can't lose twice. You can you, losing is is a, is a binary thing, and so every every chance you have to throw the board up in the air is just you do it because there's at least the chance that that will get you on a different track than you're on currently. And currently, even with a little tightening on the polls, the track that we are on is Donald Trump losing and losing pretty decisively. I think that is an outstanding question that hasn't been talked about that much that you touched on, Josh, which is, you know, the firing up of the non-Trump people of like a liberal base, because I think a hallmark of these protests has been the fact that there are so many white people out protesting with black people and people of color, which hasn't been the case after a lot of these kind of police brutality sparked uprisings. And so, you know, there's been a lot of kind of white liberals coming to the realization that this is how black people in America live. Um, And, you know, that could spur people on the left to the polls kind of in the same way that these scenes of destruction are certainly firing up Trump's base. One thing I noticed, you know, the, the in that in that Pennsylvania poll that I think we started off talking about mm-hmm. at the beginning of the episode, uh, it's by Monmouth, and they had they had like three versions of the numbers. One was sort of like you know normal turnout, high turnout, low turnout, and uh, needless to say, the low turnout number was the worst for Biden. I think it had him only up by one point over Trump. But if you think about it. There's no way this isn't going to be a low turnout election. There's just no way. Everybody on both sides is totally fired up and and like you know going out, coming out of their skin. Um, so again, there's just no way this is a low turnout election. Everybody, everybody is focused on it. And but this is where you see what the Trump campaign is is focusing on 
is that there, you know, there are different ways you can get to low turnout. You get to low interest or you can just make it impossible to vote or you can just, you know, you can you can break the postal service and stuff like that. So that that is another thing to think about. Uh, everybody is really fired up and it's not just Trump's base that's fired up. Everybody's fired up. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that has also been from the reporting project I mentioned earlier, kind of the biggest metric that's true across the board is almost every state we surveyed. And, you know, I'm talking states that didn't really have competitive races. And by the time they voted for the primaries, you know, it was Biden was the choice. So that wasn't competitive either. Almost across the board, record breaking turnout. Um, whether that be people kind of using expanded access to absentee ballots or even just, you know, in person, people are flocking to the polls, you know, and that was the crucial thing that changed the, the dynamics in 2018, you know, especially sparked by kind of the revolt of the suburban women. But it was that you got higher turnout. I mean, and that's been the Democrats problem forever. There are more Democratic voters than there are Republican, but... Democrats have a hell of a time turning out their own people. And Trump is so polarizing that one way or another, people want to react to him. Right, right. And 60, and 60 days is, is, I know everybody knows this, but, you know, in a lot of ways, this is what it's all come down to. This, this entire four years, this entire four years of chaos and law breaking and awfulness. And now kind of, uh, in 2020, you know, overlapping levels of public catastrophe, it has all come down to, you know, we, we, we make this choice every four years. And as we've seen, the consequences of that choice can be immense and cataclysmic and, and, and lasting. So, you know, 60 days, folks, but no pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no pressure. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Well, well, I think that takes care of it today. That does take care of it. But remember, you know, what can I tell you? We, we, we now have this new offer from Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Now 20% off. Not 20%, you know, not, no, I'm sorry. What is my problem? I'm so keyed in on 20%. 25% off, not just on your first order. Uh, all orders, uh, if you're a fan of the Josh Marshall podcast, 25% off for the next 60 days until election day. Just use the promo code TPM. And, you know, if you're totally low energy and you just want to spend money for no reason or give money to Jeff Bezos, you can also order on Amazon.com or, you know, go down to your, your local grocery store. I don't know why why you do that. You know, give me Grady's and I'll have a side of COVID. Um, you, but you can, you know, you can order if you go to Grady'sColdBrew.com. You get 20%. 20, oh, my God wrong with me 25 percent off all it's such a shockingly good offer you know it's yeah really it's like i can't even i, I have money. like a you know like I, i'm so locked in on the long-standing order of 20 percent off it's like you know coded into my brain even i can't process how good an offer this is that 25 percent off all orders grady'scoldbrew.com promo code tpm all right. All right. Later, folks. Josh and Kate. Thanks, Talk to you guys. Later. Bye. Later.